Welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. It's the 6th of May 2021. I'm taking my constitutional in the hills. It's election day here in Wales. The devolved Welsh Parliament, the Senedd, is uh, up for election. All the seats are up for election. A similar situation obtains in Scotland. In England, there are a number of local elections, local councils, local uh, mayors, regional mayors. The Mayor of London's up for election, police commissioners, and so on. So it's kind of a big day politically. I think there is one by election, the outcome of which will be of great significance for the Labour Party. So that's the context. But basically, this uh, podcast is a funny story. I will attempt to draw a political stroke philosophical conclusion at the end, which will be one which you hear me articulate very frequently if you listen to these podcasts. This story was on the news, I think, yesterday evening and uh, this morning. There was quite a bit of time devoted to it on the Radio 4 Today programme. And here it is. The island of Jersey, which is a few miles off the French coast, rather nearer to France than it is to Britain, uh, does have a relationship with the United Kingdom politically and legally and so forth, though it's not exactly uh, a fully-fledged member of the United Kingdom. And this is because it performs a function as an offshore tax haven and an extension of the City of London's nefarious global money laundering and tax evading activities. Nevertheless, as far as defence is concerned, it comes under the UK and certain aspects of its law are governed by the UK. Generally, decisions about what happens in Jersey that are within the UK's remit are taken by the Privy Council rather than by Parliament. Just to add to the shadiness of it all, if you watch a film entitled The Spider's Web, which I believe is on Netflix, and certainly you'll find it on YouTube, this documents the goings-on in these tax havens, in these remnants of the British Empire, Jersey, Isle of Man, the other Channel Islands, the British Virgin Islands, Cayman Islands, and so forth. But anyway, that, that, that again is a bit of context. Now, as a part of the chaos which is Brexit, The fishing industry has, has suffered greatly, the UK fishing industry. A lot of fishermen voted for Brexit in the belief that this would improve their position and their eligibility to catch more fish and make more money and all the rest of it. it the opposite has turned out to be the case. And it's a complete cock-up. Anyway, as a part of the agreement, that has been signed between the UK and the, the uh, EU. French 
fishermen are to be allowed to fish in Jersey's territorial waters. Now that the agreement is about to be implemented, uh, as far as the fresh French fishermen are concerned, the, the UK, or Jersey perhaps, or some combination of the two, seem to have changed the rules. Now, fishermen from Normandy have fished in Jersey waters for over 100 years. Under the EU, they were allowed to fish in those waters. And the agreement was that that would continue. But now, it seems that the French fishermen need to get a licence to fish in Jer Jersey waters. And I think that's in the agreement, a licence, but it was thought that this would be a simple and straightforward process. It turns out that it's not a simple and straightforward process. And when you apply for your licence, you have to give an account of the fish that you've caught over the last number of years and so forth. And it's incredibly bureaucratic to the extent that the French fishermen think, well, it's, it's basically amounting to an obstacle to them being able to fish in Jersey waters. Now this has been raised at uh, high levels of government and a French spokesperson, I think a minister, uh, can't remember exactly what the exact status of the person is, but uh, a French spokesperson pretty high up in the French government said, well if you're going to mess us about maybe we will cut the electricity off to Jersey. Now Jersey gets all of its electricity from France through an undersea cable and this was reiterated by a spokesperson for the French government on, on the radio this morning uh, she said forget again I forget the person's name but she said um, when pressed by Nick Robinson she said well you know as a last resort if we can't get listened to we're not going to be listened to. We'll, we might have to cut off the electricity. So she wouldn't take it off the table. She wouldn't repudiate the notion. So, meanwhile, <laughs> French fishermen have steamed out of the Normandy harbours and they've pretty well blockaded the entrance to Jersey's main port. Now, to be fair, there was a, a cargo ship wanted to uh, negotiate the port entrance and the, the fishermen did move aside to allow that to happen but nevertheless they're making noises and they're all bunched up around the around the entrance to this harbour and in that uh, wonderful French manner you know they're protesting crazy stuff but as if that wasn't enough just in case things get out of hand the uh, Johnson government has sent the Navy <laughs> and there are now two naval vessels presumably uh, vessels with firepower uh, just hovering on the periphery to uh, make sure that uh, nothing untoward happens <laughs> so oh well it's, well it's just it's just a regional spat you know and it's more uh, fury than substance. Even though there are uh, real tra tragedies, individual tragedies, at, at, the, at the bottom of uh, quite a lot of the Brexit chaos. Uh, 
I mean, I don't have much sympathy for industrial fishing, which destroys the seabed and is ecologically disastrous. But, I don't know, small family business with a couple of fishing boats and the, the dads and the sons and the uncles going out and making a, a living and supplying the country with nutritious fish is something, you, you know, that you... When that goes bump, you... you, you it seems to me that one, one always has some sympathy, and, and, and I do. You know, there are personal tragedies underneath this stuff. It's comedy and tragedy. But I don't have much sympathy with the big industrial fish, fisher, fisher folk who portray themselves as somehow like cottage industries, but really they're multi-billion uh, industrial corporate concerns. So, uh, what are we seeing here? And this strikes me as a, a, a localised example, of which there will be very, very many, of the uh, turbulence in world affairs, which affects economies, cultures, p political discourses, and the environment. Uh, all of these factors in mutual interaction. And uh, this turbulence... I've asserted many times, the whole time I've been doing this podcast, is, is disintegrative at the current juncture in most places, certainly in, in the UK it is. The uh, election in Scotland, which I alluded to, is being viewed as an, an independence election, as a, as a sort of a, a surrogate referendum. And if the SNP, Scottish National Party, does get a, a majority in the... Holyrood, the devolved parliament, they, it strikes me, will have a legitimate claim to, to demand of the UK Prime Minister a, a second referendum on Scottish independence. And bear in mind that the Scottish Greens, which will get a, a reasonable number of seats, most likely, are also a pro-independence party. So even if SNP doesn't get a majority, but is able to form a coalition with the Greens. Again, there is a strong case for an independence referendum. A similar thing obtains in Wales, uh, though most probably the Welsh public is about 35% in favour of independence. This is a, a huge leap up Over, the, over recent years, and certainly three of our local uh, younger Labour candidates are, are pro-independence as well. So there's an independence movement within Labour as well as obviously within the Nationalist Party. But it's, it's not so far forward as it is in Scotland, but if Scotland did go independent, I think a lot of people in Wales wouldn't want to live in Wengland. So, so there you've got it, you've got that, that uh, fragmentatory picture. And of course, the UK leaving the EU, of course, is a fragmentation of a bigger unit. And it seems the appetite for similar movements, Italexit, Frexit and so forth within Europe has, has declined. The European public having seen the chaos that Brexit has unleashed in the UK. So, th this is the fragmentation that I'm alluding to. Uh, 
Now, that picture of fragmentation is a big picture. It's an impression. It's an impression made of by the imagination really by combining many 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 uh, perceptions, concerns uh, discoveries of various facts reading, looking thinking, <laughs> listening to the, the news trying to discern what's good and what isn't in terms of veracity and it, yeah, it's an impression but I always maintain that it's got a material basis it's not some magical unfolding of cosmic forces or the age of Aquarius or the movements in the collective unconscious any of these sort of pretty vague notions that it's rather solid and I would say that the turbulence is made up of countless events some big some small and the the Jersey fishing fiasco is just one of them that's just popped into public consciousness partly because the news has decided to report it but also partly because of its absurdity and, and its comedy and its tragedy but there are millions of such occurrences going on all, all around, around the world and some of them actually like in the picture in the impressionist picture that we've got there are some big broad brushstrokes, some big black, bold demarcations. And those are formed uh, uh, by the interactions between the big players in, in the global economy and in geopolitics. China, Russia, the, U, the US, the EU itself. And that big geopolitical drama that's playing out. That provides us with many of the big the big bold strokes, but of course there's lots of detail. It's a picture with detail in every corner. And there are lots of micro events as well. And this funny story is just one such. Now it, it strikes me that this points us to one field of action, even though I don't think this field of action that I'm recommending should be exclusive. There's lots of other things need to happen. There's lots of big things need to happen. There's lots of global scale uh, activism needs to occur around climate and environment and peace and global justice and so forth. There, there is an upshot in it. Is, it is that local communities need to strengthen, need to strengthen their viability, their sustainability, their ability to act as safety nets. Uh, uh, when catastrophes arise, and of course, turbulence of this nature, fragmentary nature, is going to cause catastrophes here, there, and everywhere. You know, public health catastrophes, political breakdown catastrophes, and, and so on. So, if you're an activist, that's one thing you need to put some, or perhaps a lot of your energy into. And for some people, it'll suit them to put all their energy into it. Build your local community, build safety nets, get a very wide range solidarity, and use that to develop a local civic consciousness. I don't think this precludes notions of uh, class struggle with a, a spurious notion that we're all in it together. Class will be a part of it, and I think if you're in, in, in any kind of industrial work, you're not unionised, get unionised, get your workplace unionised. 
you know, let that be your community, your union fellows, and then extend that outwards into your locality, your street, your town, your, your district, your housing estates or whatever. All that needs to happen. This is not to say that international activism uh, can be sidelined. It, it cannot. Uh, e even if only as a counter to the xenophobia that can rise if we had just myriad, fragmented, isolated local communities. There's a lot of opportunity for a situation like that to breed quite a lot of destructivity based on particularity and xenophobia and outgroup, blaming and so forth, otherisation. So that, that's one good reason for having the international dimension, quite apart from the fact that some of the problems that humanity faces can only be dealt with internationally, particularly the ecological stuff. Anyway, there's a funny story. And there's a broad conclusion which, it seems to me, the funny story upholds. Okay, thanks for listening. And take care of yourselves. Over and out.